Hi, this is Chris Bjorling from Fidelo, where we have a passion for HR consulting and improving performance. In this episode of the People in Performance podcast, we hear from Rohit Manucha, Chief Human Resources Officer at SIH AGH, and former head of HR at Ajan Coca-Cola Beverages Company. Rohit has extensive experience in working with CEOs and C-suite leaders and driving end-to-end organizational transformation across 19 countries. He has worked towards aligning organizations with their strategic agenda, managing change, and driving sustainable performance. He has operated with a diverse range of sectors, covering companies with varying ownership models and at different stages of the business life cycle. His core expertise is in, quote, organizational transformation and effectiveness, end quote. He has developed case studies and white papers that are featured in various publications, and he has quoted a number of leading HR magazines on a host of HR-related topics. He has chaired and been a keynote speaker at a number of global events. We're excited to hear his words today. I hope you enjoy this conversation Rohit had with Bill Bannum. Rohit, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. Great to be back here again. So let, let's start by sort of understanding the context that we're currently uh, living in, in in many countries anyway, in countries such as where you are in the United Arab Emirates, in the UK, in the US, in Canada, um, for example. Uh, in, in those countries, uh, there are high proportions of uh, folk with, with, who've had the jab and, and uh, many who've had uh, both both jabs and uh, that they are returning to whatever our, our new normal looks like what are what are some of the biggest challenges though for the hr pros when they're working with leadership teams towards aligning the organization and their their new strategic agenda if you like in in this new normal while they've still right. got to manage through these current changes as a result of, yeah. of, of measures brought on by covid so for example health and safety measures that they've got to make sure that they respect respecting the fact that some employees perhaps don't want to come back into the office but others are really essential to be there in person perhaps how on earth do they how on earth do they manage that i think a lot of this has got to do with the values and the culture of the organization of course there are regulations uh, surrounding this and of course certain countries are nudging uh, the behavior of the citizens you've seen us offering hundred dollars some countries are saying you have to have mandatory shorts else you have regular tests uh, that nudge is I think to a very large in a very large way assisting the HR folk uh, to get the employees to do the right thing however the definition of the right thing gets murky when you talk about individuals choices and to by that large extent you currently talk about how you as an individual need need to take that into account and as an HR professional, respect the values and the culture of the organization. So in companies where people are very largely aligned, uh, what they are currently facing is, do we come back to work? Do we work out of uh, home? Uh, We do know for a fact that uh, working out of home has been productive uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, At the same time, it has caused huge amount of notes, uh, um, mental stress, uh, is that sustainable as a question from a sustainable performance perspective? I leave that out for the jury to decide. But how to tackle that? How to work with a hybrid workforce? How to have workforce in your country versus tapping into a global talent pool where people can work out of anywhere in the world? So it doesn't even have to be a home. Uh, countries offering uh, opportunities for people to become citizens of that, of that country without necessarily having to even relocate virtual citizenship programs. So 
Uh, there is a huge world which has opened up for HR from a compliment perspective, how to deal with that, from a global mobility perspective, how to deal with that, from an operational perspective, these are strategic elements, from an operational perspective, how to figure out what the organization wants and the employee work, want in terms of getting the jab, uh, coming back to work, working remotely. So it, it's a pretty interesting time, really. Uh, uh, and it's important we get it right uh, because this would define uh, the pace of change and pro- probably the future would judge us with what the decisions we take to get today. Okay, thank you. Uh, you, you mentioned managing a, a global workforce now, you know, p- pooling from a, you know, a global pool of, of, of talent, uh, a disparate pool of talent too. What, what skills does an effective OD practitioner need to, to manage a disparate and, and global employee base today what, what have we learned over the last year and what are those skills that they need to achieve on, on the go forward right initially global mobility was um, i guess to a certain extent simpler where you had employees on your payroll moving between markets uh, of course it had elements to do with compensation global mobility in itself the admin aspects as well as the legal aspects uh, career pathing and so on and so forth but now we're talking about an era where you have a number of freelancers who you can tap into, uh, entrepreneurs you can tap into, uh, need not be on your payroll. Uh, the concept of not necessarily going to big scale consulting companies, but individuals uh, is picking up. So working with people across different time zones, across different working styles, across different uh, setup poses a host of opportunities and challenges right on from infrastructure, ID, threat to the individual getting along with the team. Because now you have a bunch of people, probably as freelancers, working with your on-role team could be considerably smaller. How do they get along? How do they get the work done? So project management and uh, working with smaller hybrid teams from an OD perspective becomes critical. So where you need people to gel really well, really effectively, take decisions on the fly. Um, and, 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 and that itself is an interesting uh, mix, so as to speak. So to answer your question from the skills required by the OD practitioner, I think the important thing is to figure out what works best for you. And the best way you can do that is to know the organization really well. It's, it's a concept, st- constant state of self-discovery, as I would like to call it. You literally have to understand your as-is, understand where you want to be in the organization, what are the gaps you need to go ahead and bridge, and what have you learned from it and go ahead and implement it, and then continuously improve. So this feedback mechanism that an OD practitioner needs to bring, the deep diving that the OD practitioner needs to begin, the attention to detail, and literally picking up on those fine nuances rather than trying to treat the symptom and not the problem is are the typical skills that an OD practitioner needs. Roll up your sleeves, get down and dirty. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much. Now, uh, you and I, we, we spoke back in 2020, I think it was beginning of 2020. And, um, and that was on the HR chat podcast. And, and in that interview, I, I asked you when done in the right ways, what can an OD intervention delivered by a seasoned OD practitioner like yourself, for example, uh, give to an organization Th- this time around though, in this interview, let, let, let's flip that around. I'd be interested to hear from you. What, what if, what if that intervention is not delivered in accordance ah. with the, the specific culture of an organization? What, what could go wrong in, in, in that situation? I love the question. Are there a series of things which could possibly go wrong? And in fact, that's one of the key reasons why people are so apprehensive about uh, going th- through an OD intervention. 
It's literally about what could go wrong. It's the what if which prevents people from engaging in that. Let's start at the top and let's talk from an HR perspective. The element, the world of HR is extremely interconnected. It's uh, while we may like to believe that there are niche areas of talent, niche areas of competence, OD, uh, and HR ops, and there are centers of excellence and HRBPs. The reality is that it's it's a it's a spider web or a honeycomb, as I like to call it. Uh, so if I touch upon anything associated with value framework, it affects the culture, it affects the strategy. It affects the strategy, it affects the operating model, it affects the operating model, it affects the structure, the unique roles. That in turn could affect my job evaluation of identifying unique roles. That in fact could affect my compensation benefits. So the ripple effect is huge and that keeps getting compounded. So if I have a top-down impact on an OD intervention, by the time I reach down to the individual employee, the effect could be catastrophic. It could lead to um, an employee morale being affected. It could lead to uh, wrong compensation misalignment. And a classical example of this, and without even getting into an OD intervention, is let me give you a scenario. Let's say this organization A uh, decides to hire an employee. uh, And I'm talking about an organization which has pay ranges already identified. And it's a very operational example. Uh, But the talent acquisition expert, whoever is making this interviewing this candidate decides to you know go beyond what is expected of the role negotiate on the salary and decides to make an offer at a certain range what happens over here is this leads to a series of uh, catastrophic changes uh, if you offer below the pay range what will end up happening subsequently in the next pay review cycle is you may want to then lift that individual up but your policy may say if you're less than one year we cannot give you such increases your internal parity, this person can stand out as an sore thumb. And more importantly, this will affect your pay ranges. So if your pay ranges were, let's say, 80 to 120 compa by offering an individual a lower salary just because their current salary is low and you bring them on at a lower salary increase rather than bringing up the minimum of your range could lead to a further spread of your internal, internal uh, pay ranges. This is not an OD intervention, but the reality is what can go wrong can happen at any given point of time. So rather than looking at what can go wrong, from doing it in an ineffective manner, I worry about uh, what can go wrong if you don't have an OD intervention. The benefits outweigh the risks in this case. For me, it's like, there's there's this famous quote, and I don't remember who said it, was, uh, why do we train people? Uh, What if they leave? And I think the gentleman says, or the lady says, what if they stay and we haven't rested in the development? It's the same risk. If you do not do anything, the risk of you failing is higher. So I would still say the benefits are outweigh the risks. So do the OD intervention. I, I love it how you turned it at the end there and you explained that you still got to do it, guys. Um, so you and I, again, in, in, a, in the pre- our previous conversation on the HR chat show, you, you spoke a lot about design thinking and, and, and why you need to bring uh, that kind of methodology to your HR processes. Perhaps you can share on this show a little bit around how how can HR pros through relatively simple exercises start to start to master the tools of design thinking like like at Apple or at, at GE, for example. Okay. Uh, without taking names of organizations, uh, let's just keep it so general, right? So the first thing you need to understand, and I'm not even talking about mastering it, right? Now is the basics. What is design thinking? It's it's basically saying I'm looking at something. And it doesn't make sense. And if I look at it from the lens of not necessarily an HR professional, I look at it from the lens of an employee saying, if I was the employee, which you are, 
quite frankly. But let's say you are the employer and you put yourself in those shoes and you look at the same policy, the same process, the same systems. Does it make sense? The second thing is define your problem statement. Don't, don't be fooled by the symptoms. Attrition, is that a problem or is that a symptom pointing at a larger issue? So what are you trying to achieve by this? So identify a problem, define the problem statement, and then figure out how you can go ahead and resolve it. Uh, at this point of time of ideation, do not limit your options. Uh, think of what else you could possibly do to do away with the problem, given the fact that you are going through the problem yourself because you put yourself in those shoes. At the end of it, once you've ideated, you need to test your prototype. You need to create a prototype, test it, test your hypothesis, run it with a number of people. And this step basically means that you don't settle. Once you've tested it, you've implemented it, you've learned from it, you improve upon it. The classical example is you have these doors, right? It's, it's no longer relevant now since we all work, most of us are working from home and those, who are, those of us who go to office, if you just look at the glass door, if you do have a door anywhere in your office, you notice there's a handle and there's a push sign next to it. The handle in your head is telling you, pull it, but the sign next to it says push. It's giving you two different mixed signals and you don't know what to do with it, right? Because if it really needs to be pushed, you don't need a handle in the first place. That's true with all HR policies, processes, and systems and organizations. Design thinking does away with clutter. Design thinking thinks things through from an employee's perspective, which then gives rise to an employee experience. And that's what you want to drive, right? You want to be the best in class employee. You want to be the best place to work with. Start with design thinking. And it's not a new concept. Perfect. Thank you. And uh, we've got two more questions for you for today, Rohit. And uh, the next one is more of a big blue sky question. It's something that we ask every guest. Okay. So maybe, okay. maybe, maybe you might want to borrow a, th a few things that you've mentioned so far today. Maybe you might want to take this in a completely different direction. Um, okay. but, but the question, the, the penultimate question we like to ask our guests is from a culture and people pers processes perspective, what does a high-performing team and a high-performing company as a whole mean to you? Let's break this down. What is high performance in its truest sense? Uh, the element of performance is constantly evolving. Now, I'm not talking about performance systems. I'm just simply talking about targets. Uh, we talk about targets, but we are constantly pushing for the unachievable, or at least, let's say, stretch targets. So performance, by definition, is constantly pushing yourself. Do we agree on that? Bill? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, I think I think anybody. If I, if I go for a walk, I'm, my legs are performing a function, uh, but maybe I need to encourage my brain to keep walking. So, sure, okay. <laughs> and that's a great example because you're actually engaging everybody into ensuring, like your body parts, your brain, everything working together to ensure that you push that walk or you go a bit longer. You walked a mile yesterday, today you want to walk a mile and a half. So you're pushing yourself. The next point which you yourself brought forward is getting everybody to work together. Similarly, as teams, most of the times we have organization structures, which could be functional structures, geographical structures. But at the end of the day, what it does is create issues associated with leadership styles and the net impact of that is siloed mentality. Your culture and your values ensure that people do not fall into the siloed mentality. Culture is your DNA. You, you, it's culture is basically something which you're true to. But values, apologies, are your DNA. You do not deviate from that. You do not uh, morph into something else if you change. So values are something which you cannot really compromise on. They hold you steady. They are your true north. 
Your culture brings that to life in things that you do, the processes that you have, the way you talk to your people. And high-performance teams build a culture where it's safe to fail. And when I say safe to fail, it means you are allowing or rather encouraging your people to experiment. You're encouraging your people to constantly perform better because you're pushing the boundaries. And when you make push boundaries, you make mistakes. There are days when you walk a bit faster. There are days when you walk the extra mile. You come back with a nagging pain on your knee or a hamstring and you go like, ah, I pushed it today. I shouldn't have done that. But you know what? I'm going to go again for a walk tomorrow. I'm not just going to sit down on bed because I know for a fact it's going to get worse. So what are you doing? You're making it safe to fail in your walk. Organizations with high-performing teams need to make it safe to fail. That's my mantra. That's the one which I always work with. Perfect. Love it. Love it. And and just finally for today, how can our listeners connect with you? How, how can they how can they learn more about you? Do, do they maybe go to LinkedIn? Do you want to share your email address? What, what, are, what are the best ways to connect? Okay. So definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, Bill, probably you can share my link along with your write-up when you share the uh, podcast. Okay. Awesome. Uh, that just leads me to say for today, Rohit, thank you very much for being my guest. Not at all, Bill. Always a pleasure. This podcast is supported by Fidelo Inc., a consulting firm specializing in improving human performance. Through their products and services, Fidelo helps clients design, develop, and implement strategic, integrated human resource processes and systems. Learn more at fidelo.com. That's F-I-D-E-L-L-O.com.